year is 2021 and the world finds itself under the direct control of an unquantifiable, unidentifiable, stealthy satanic conspiracy whose goal is nothing short of snatching the souls of everyone. Get your copy of Terry L. Cook's riveting new sci-fi novel, The Duke of Hell, The World's Final Dictator, and get lost in a tale of planned calamities engineered by a secretive cabal intent on preparing the world for the arrival of its demonic alien master. While the hellish chaos... Hello, this is Marilyn. Doctor, how are you? It's James Lowe calling you for your radio interview. How are you? I am just peachy. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. We have got a... I think everyone is expecting people to be dying of the co-virus, you know? Yes, I We're going to be talking about all that with you today as well. We have got uh, a uh, great guest. Uh, she joins us today here on Skype Audio. Uh, she is fantastic. And uh, Dr. Singleton is with us today. We are also going to be joined by best-selling author Dan Perkins uh, and IQL Rizzoli. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit with uh, the doctor here about all sorts of different things, her books, um, as, as she, as she kind of uh, buried the lead at the beginning. Yes, the coronavirus. We will talk about that. And, the, and we'll talk about the hysteria that everybody is... <laughs> everybody is involved in because uh this has uh definitely taken over uh every conversation in america uh, i don't know why that is but uh we are going to talk with uh, the good doctor here in just a little bit we're going to get dan perkins and iq rizzoli on uh, skype here uh you can find us on spotify also iHeartRadio today amfm247.com Tune in, iTunes, of course, uh, talk to, and uh, I believe Dan and IQ have joined us. How are you, gentlemen? Hello. Yes, 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 yes. I've got, uh, I've got both of you guys. I, I think, uh, it, according to, according to Skype, I have you both. So that that's that that's good. Uh, yes. We have got. We've got an interesting guest today and an interesting topic because uh, uh, usually we talk a lot of heavy dose of politics on this program, but we are going to be talking a little bit about medical issues and uh, hysteria and all sorts of things today with our guest, uh, contributor and author Dr. Marilyn M. Singleton joins us today on Skype. She is from Oakland, California. She's a board certified uh, anesthesiologist. Also, she is the uh, past president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. And she joins us today here on our broadcast. And uh, Dr. Singleton, first of all, a little behind the scenes here when i first called you to get you on skype you were just fantastic and in a great mood and you said you know i think people are expecting me to be dying of the coronavirus <laughs> so dr singleton talk to us a little bit about this and also the hysteria around this whole thing uh I think one of the things you, you said, generally we talk politics, yes. I think with this corona, it really intersects with politics. I think back to other uh, waves of diseases that have passed through, and I have never seen the MSNBC, CNN just going on and on and on about minutia of the response and it's like just let the folks do what they do and stop scaring people we want people to use good practices cover their nose and mouth when they sneeze with their elbow wash their hands frequently if that's the good thing that comes out of this it might get people to be cleaner but 
to hear it, if I had walked in from another planet, I would think that the population was all ready to die within the next three days. <laughs> and it, it's not helpful. We have got uh, a great guest with us today, board-certified anesthesiologist. She's also the immediate past president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. She graduated from Stanford and earned her MD at US, uh, UCSF Medical School. Dr. Singleton also two years of surgery residency, and uh, she is a best-selling author as well. Um Dan, we've got a medical expert today. Uh, I know you've got a medical got expert some, today. Uh, I know you Jump in there, Dan. Drop the phone. <laughs> not, hurt a anybody? not a problem. Not a problem. I know you've probably got some <laughs> questions here for the doctor. Jump in there, my friend. Oh, yeah. It's it's um, it's interesting uh, what what she's saying, because I, I totally agree with her. I um I wrote a commentary, which I think I said to Jim probably a week and a half ago. Yes, yes. And I and I had talked to IQ about it last week. And uh, basically, what I'm saying, Doctor, is that if we look at if we look at the typical flu season, uh, and the Center for Disease Control. Uh, published a report uh, as of February 15th, which would be from uh, October 1st to February 15th. Um, I think the number was between 29 and 41 million Americans during that period of time had been infected with the flu. 500,000 of them went to the hospital and uh, between 29 and 41,000 have died. And um, the World Health Organization published the uh, annual numbers for flu on a global basis. And uh, I believe the number was that 650 million people would get the flu and over a quarter of a billion people would die in the world on a average flu season. I think the last number I heard, doctor, was 108,000 people across the globe had been affected by the COVID-19 and somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,400 had died. That seems, the, to me, the best mapping I've seen is the Johns Hopkins map, and uh, that updates constantly by the hour. Mm-hmm. And uh, the last I looked, those were about the numbers. Now, one thing you have to keep in mind is the flu numbers are for the entire flu season. So, like, you look at one we have a full season for, the 2018 and 2019 season, which they say goes from October until April 1st. You right. have your 34,000 deaths. So you have to keep that in mind, but it doesn't negate what you're saying, that we have the flu and people are getting sick, including children, which, thank the Lord, the children don't seem to be getting COVID. Uh, right. Just a handful seem to be getting it. So it, it is a different um, germ, let's say, and uh, so we do have to pay attention. I'm certainly not saying not to pay attention, but right. people do not need to be killing each other in Costco over toilet paper. Right. And I, and I think the most amazing thing that I've heard so far is the Italian government shutting down the entire country yesterday. Yeah, that was pretty unbelievable. Nobody can go anywhere in the entire country of Italy. Nobody. And there was a picture this afternoon on the internet of the streets in Venice. There was nobody out. Nobody. Wow. And, and it's it's amazing to me uh, the the rea- the reaction, which I I totally subscribe to what you're suggesting, is that it it is the direct responsibility of the hype primarily driven by the American media 
as a way to try and discredit Donald Trump. There was a political motive for the coverage of the American media on this story. And uh, and so it started and um, and I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I doctor, I'm um, among many things. I'm a professional and money manager. And I own a company that I've owned for decades called Gilead Health Science out of Walnut Grove, California. Oh, and, my goodness. And, and I owned it for a long time and um, made unconscionable amounts of money in it already. Um, but it, it, they have a drug that's being tried in China. And as I understand it now, a hundred places throughout the world as a treatment for this virus. And uh, we're supposed to know the results, although the World Health Organization is, is kind of leaking out that this may be the only thing that, that can stop the virus. Um, the, the idea that we could develop a vaccine, which would take maybe a year to year and a half to develop and prove, uh, is not going to help this particular season. But what I what I've right. what I've said, and I, I have mm-hmm. to call call the company, haven't been able to get an answer yet. Is I understand that the drug that that they're using in testing uh, creates the the ability for the the bacteria, the virus, to multiply. It stops it. Mm-hmm. And so, so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this and I'm saying, no, wait a minute. If this medication can stop the ability of the virus to grow, is it a super drug that we could eliminate these viruses forever? And we, that's a very good question. And one of the things is, you know, we have antivirals, and the viruses are always changing. So it seems that antivirals, in the end, would be more effective than a vaccine, because every year when we have a new virus, you'd have to come up with a new vaccine, and we're always behind the curve in that regard. Yeah, and I, 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 I'm glad that Jim has you on because I have been, I've been doing a lot of interviews about this subject matter, and I've asked this mm-hmm. question and uh, haven't gotten an answer. So, and if you don't have an answer, that's okay. But, but here's the question that I've been asking people: If I'm, I'm, let's, I am, I will be 75 years old in about three months. And I've gotten a lot of flu shots and vaccines and all that stuff. And I'm wondering, what happens if we continue to pump these vaccines into our body? What does it do to our immune system as we compound? Every time a new one comes out, we create a new vaccine, and we put, we put that in, in people. Uh, are we doing something long-term to the immune system by pumping all of these anti these vaccines into our system boy that opens up a whole area of questioning because look at just even the history of how we've given vaccines in my youth after vaccines came out we got them one at a time and indeed when I had finished medical school I took a trip to Africa and the lab I was working in said, now make sure you only you get them one at a time. Start early with, with your yellow fever and whatnot, the various vaccines. And it's interesting to me, thinking back on that advice to get them once every three weeks. And now the kids are getting five in one dose all at once. So the concept that your immune system should kind of just look at one disease at a time has totally gone out the window. And I have the same question that you just posed, that how much can one take with regard to having 
all these vaccines. Now, maybe you can have uh, an unlimited amount as long as you're not overwhelming the immune system all at once. And, and this is certainly one of the issues with childhood vaccines is that people, many people, aren't against the concept of a vaccine, but it's the idea of overloading a young body with five of these at once that it how much can your immune system take so um i thank you for that i I appreciate that i I, as i said i i uh i have been managing money for almost 50 years and there are many examples in history of uh where certain things have happened to create buying panics. And one of those was, one of the most famous buying panics was the tulip bulb craze. And uh, it, it started in, in Holland, uh, I think in the 17th century, and somebody said that they had this particular bulb and uh, it was a rare tulip and so uh, one person said to the other, well, would you be willing to sell it? And he said, of course. And so what happened over a period of time, people began to speculate in tulip bulbs. And it's like the this children's story, the emperor had no clothes. One day somebody realized, wait a minute, these are just flowers. They're not gold or silver or platinum. They're flowers. And the market collapsed and people lost fortunes and i'm wondering i'm wondering if we have a similar craze going on with this corona situation is that we have people who are hyping what's going on right now we don't know what their reason is although we could suspect certain ones in the united states but these the idea that the city the country of italy would close all of its cities and I, I'm not diminishing the value of human life, but I think the number is something like 385 people in the entire country of Italy have died from this, where they believe from this coronavirus. Um, we, we just saw it this afternoon. Maybe you saw it. The state of New York is quarantining a portion of the city of New Rochelle, New York, because there were a couple of people that had the coronavirus. Uh, there's a section of New York City subway that, that was closed and they used the National Guard to keep people from going in because somebody rode the subway that had the coronavirus. I don't understand, mm-hmm. doctor, this, this, this paranoia uh, about this particular thing. And, it, and is it really a function of nothing more than the mainstream media just went out of control? It's, it's hard to say, and I, I certainly don't want to be the one to minimize it, but the maximizing it of the media is what is so outrageous. And what bothers me is, would they be doing this were someone else other than President Trump president? Because we've got these viruses and we will get them until the earth dissipates because there are RNA viruses. They constantly change. I mean, this coronavirus is in the same family as the SARS was. SARS kind of came and went, and apparently every now and then there's a sporadic case of it. And that was quite deadly. That was, what, 30% mortality rate. So these viruses are going to be circulating around the earth. So the question really is, do you just kind of let it go, given that now it's assumed about 80% of people are asymptomatic, which is, that opens up a whole nother can of worms. How do you really know how many people have it if so many people are asymptomatic? I saw an interview of someone on the cruise ship, and he said he felt fine, but he tested positive. And I think it would be wonderful to use the cruise ship patients as your uh, 
template for looking at people because they are a confined group and they're people that you know who they are because some of these uh, statistics coming out of China and, and even other countries, how do you know you don't have a, a defined set of people? But the cruise ship, presumably, people went on the cruise ship healthy and came out sick. So you can see how many people have tested positive who were completely not showing signs of any disease, how many people had some level of disease, et cetera. So hopefully, I'm sure somebody's doing that, and we'll get some real data. But imagine if, if people are guessing that some 80% could be asymptomatic, look at how many people could have it, and we'll never know. And right. people are just roaming around the earth with their own passive immunity. Mm -hmm. We've now uh, we've we've got a great guest with us today. Dr. Singleton is with us, board certified anesthesiologist. She's also the immediate past president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. We've also got best-selling author Dan Perkins with us today as well, our co-host each and every week, and also our other co-host, IQ Rizzoli. IQ, listening to all this, what, 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 what do you make of the conversation here between the doctor and uh, our good friend Dan? <laughs> The people who are talking on this show are usually the most rational that I can think of because the news media have been hyping it up, not only in America, but also in Europe. They are literally driving people banana. And there is absolutely no reason to go to that extreme. Yes, you've got to be careful, 100%. Of course, you've got to be careful. But for the stock market to collapse, for the whole of Italy to quarantine the whole nation, is utterly insane. I mean, really, I can't put it in any other way. I wash my hands every time I go out, even to change money for a business or work with my people in the building construction business. I wash my hand regularly. I try not to put my hand on my face. I try to avoid somebody who is coughing. But beyond that, uh, as far as I'm concerned, my life is going to go normal. What about you? Um, IQ. Yes, sir. Uh, I want to take an opportunity to, to tell the doctor about the conversation you and I had last week privately. Go on. That, that was, I raised the question to IQ because IQ comes from the Middle East. And um, I asked him, uh, when we started seeing the stories about Mecca and and the people that were kissing the stones and the doors and everything else, I asked him what his thoughts were about the quality of public health care in uh, the Middle Eastern countries. And why don't you tell them what you what you told me, IQ? Well, there is no such thing as public health care in the Middle East. It's all collapsing. Uh, okay, you have Saudi Arabia, they have fantastic hospitals, but can they take care of an epidemic? I honestly don't think so. Iraq cannot take care of itself in ordinary days. If they have an epidemic, it will be cataclysmic. The same thing with Iran, the same thing with Syria, the same thing with Libya. These are places of conflict. They're fighting each other, they're killing each other. In the Yemen, it's the same. And the Iranian mullahs have been telling their followers, don't worry. This is jihad. The coronavirus cannot touch jihadi. All you have to do is put a verse of the Quran on your body and you will be defended by Allah. Look, we are living in the 21st century, they are living in the 7th century. It is cataclysmic if it gets hold. By the way, almost 10% of the leadership in the Majlis, which is like the parliament of Iran, have got the coronavirus. Why do you think Iran was so hard hit? It just seems odd to me, um, looking at the geography, and we have to ignore North Korea because, you know, supposedly they have none, but we don't know. But if you look at a map and see what is close to China, you would expect more in um, uh other countries and more in India and Pakistan and 
and um, but we we don't really see that. In fact, even more in Russia. But it just seems odd to me why Iran has so many cases. Because they're not as clean as we are. They don't wash the way we are wash. I'm not kidding. They wash communally. Uh, mm. They can wash their hands and their mouth and their face communally. Okay, it's like running water, but it's, the, it's a huge uh, bath of w- running water. It's, it's not clean. It's not tidy. Besides, they kiss the walls or they kiss the holy places. They touch them with their hands. They touch them with the sweat. This is epidemic proportions. You know, you, you know about how to be hygienic. But when you kiss something that other people, thousands of them have been kissing and touching, the contagion, the ability to transmit it is enormous. And the yeah, Ayatollahs especially, they are not using 21st century thinking. They were allowing people to go to the mosque, which they shouldn't have. They're allowing people to congregate in holy places, which they shouldn't have. But funnily enough, in Saudi Arabia, which is a Sunni Muslim country, they stopped all that. They would have had millions of people today around the Kaaba, but they stopped it. And especially they stopped it from uh, Iran. They wouldn't allow any Iranian to come. It's to do with what, religion. What then, Sorry, it's to do with what religion. What then do you think makes Italy such a problem. I haven't read, and I've been looking for who was patient zero in Italy, had they had a big conference in China, because like in Singapore, excuse me, they could find patient zero, because it was all these folks from China who went to some sort of uh, conference, so they were able to immediately track those people down and contain things. It seems like an awful lot of people in Italy, which is, to me, sort of a random country, to have so many cases. Well, the answer to your answer to your question. Go Go ahead, ahead, Dan. Go ahead. The answer to your question, ma'am, is that um, the vast majority of the industrial and monetary an agricultural infrastructure of the country of Italy is owned by the Chinese. And mm, so, okay. so the, the travel back and forth between China and in Italy has been enormous. The other thing that's interesting is that if we look at the, the people who have died, the average age of people that have been reported dying from the disease is 81. Italy, Italy as a nation has the oldest population in the world. So they have such a huge percentage of their property, their people that are in the 70s and 80s, which are the most vulnerable. It would be logical then to see why they're having such a difficult problem because of the age the advanced age of the people of Italy and uh, the relationship that they've had for decades with uh, Chinese owning of many, many companies uh, in uh, in Italy and the tremendous exchange of people going back and forth. So I think that's the answer of why about Italy. Um, Iran, is, is, uh, as IQ pointed out, is, uh, but that's, see, that's the thing that when I, IQ and I were talking about this last week, is if all the countries that he named are all countries that have been in wars and have very little infrastructure left uh, as far as healthcare, um, it could be devastating. That, that of all places in the world, it could be the the Middle Eastern countries that he's talked about who have the greatest That's death right. rates, and because there's there really isn't any treatment per se aren't any uh, facilities left to treat, as, as like you said, the masses of people. So I would continue to watch what's happening in the Middle East and be more concerned about death rates in the in the Middle East. Uh, I didn't know until he said today about the, the leadership of Iran, how many of the leaders uh, wasn't. Did I hear IQ earlier this week that about 10 percent? 
Yeah, but did I hear that one of the leaders, high leaders, passed, died? No, no, yeah. not one, not two, not three, about ten of them. Ten of the leaders. Three, three of them were women. Three of them were women. Seven of them were men. Because don't forget also the leadership in Iran, also octogenarian, uh, in the 70s, 80s, and so on. Wow. So they are vulnerable. So, you know, doctor, coming back to, to, to uh, what we should be doing, I, I, uh, I watched Dr. Oz this weekend on Fox and Friends, and <laughs> everybody's, everybody's doctor is looking for a silver bullet. And the most silver of the silver bullets that we can use, as crazy as it sounds, wash your hands many times a day. That's what I, I mean, said. Right. Yeah, I know. I mean, the idea that, that that's the best treatment, is that the best science can do is wash your hands? Sometimes that is the best science. Well, that's right. And there's sort of a saying in medicine, simple things are simple, that sometimes we can overthink things. But when you're talking about trying to tell 330 million people what they can do, when we have a nation that's so used to uh, get fixed quick, a pill, uh, you know, that we see advertised on TV all the time, that just something that you have to do for yourself, you have to cover your own sneeze, you have to wash your own hands. And this is the best thing we can do on a gross level. And as was mentioned, antivirals, are being examined for this particular virus. And right. who knows, maybe someone will come up with an antiviral that works on more than one kind of virus. But until right. then, we just protect ourselves. I thought it was interesting, Doctor, on whether you saw him last night. Bernie Sanders said at the town hall meeting that he did with uh, Fox News that he was, if he was elected president, he would uh, he would provide a vaccine inoculation for the virus to all 320 million Americans and paid for by the government. And I'm saying, oh, wait a minute. Is, is that pandering or what? Totally. See, this is when you bring that up. This is what brings us back, back full circle to what you started with about the politics of this. Mm -hmm. And this is an election year. Were it mm -hmm. not an election year, would people be saying all this? No. And this is his way of saying, ah, this is why we need Medicare for all. We need the government to pay for everything. But m most vaccines... Certainly, Medicare pays for vaccines, and some vaccines are considered an essential benefit under the Affordable Care Act. So, a lot of the whooping and hollering over stuff really won't come to be that people will get their vaccine, they'll go to CVS and these other drug stores that have been putting out all these vaccines for $10 and be fine, assuming there's a vaccine out there. But by the time they get one, this will probably have passed. And then you, what? Yeah, so the, we're talking about a vaccine a year to a year and a half away for a virus that might die out in a few months. But, but if, right. if, if we look at that, though, well, let me ask you this question. If that is, if this vaccine, if this virus follows its the, the the historical cycle of viruses like it in the past, um, it would normally die out in April, maybe into May. Do we have any so sense? So they that say, right? Um, do we, do we think that that's possible? That's a possibility with this virus too. So this is same, well, from the same fam same family. Say it's the same family. SARS was a coronavirus, and remember that there's four coronaviruses that 
are out there all the time. Some some colds are rhinoviruses, but some regular common colds are coronaviruses. And there's a season because of the way the droplets float in the air in moisture versus no moisture. So dry air, they tend not to float, and then they die off, and so it's not passed along. Now, some people are saying to look at Singapore because their weather right now is the closest to summer weather that would be pretty much around the world. Interestingly, though, having been to Singapore and seeing what a regimented uh, country, city, state it is, that there's a little double-edged sword to looking at Singapore, that yes, they've really quieted down. They had that surge from the initial folks, and then they haven't had many more cases, And but they're a very regimented country. So we don't know if it's their regimentation or if it's the weather or, yes, they do have um, a good health care system where everybody can go in and, and get some treatment. So it's hard to know, but, and every country is different. But, Doctor, if you look at the map, if you look at the map of where the, where the COVID-19 is, there's clearly a pattern that shows it's not very much in South America. It's not very much in Africa. And th those are sub-equator nations where it isn't winter in those areas. It's summer in those areas. So, right. so the weather concept that you just talked about may be one of the reasons why, because the weather conditions are more apropos in South America and in Africa uh, to um, to not be conducive for the spreading of the virus. I don't know whether that. I mean, they don't report they don't report report a lot of of illnesses there. But I wonder again if it, since the southern hemisphere is in winter and we're or in summer and we're in winter, I wonder if there's some credibility to what you're saying. Well, there well may be because. Uh, you know, um, you were talking about China's presence in Italy, that China certainly has a presence in South America, and, um, you know, they're trying to own the Panama Canal, and, and they're all over uh, Peru, so, and these are open countries, I they're, they're not somebody who I, I would imagine who would be hiding their data, and you're mm -hmm. so right, the map doesn't have anything in South America, and there is a Chinese presence there. So yeah. I'm hoping that the, the weather theory works for this virus. Okay. Jim? We've got Dr. Singleton with us today. She joins us live here in our broadcast. Now, Dr. Singleton, uh, I want to tackle another subject here because uh, me and Dan and IQ each and every week, we talk about uh, social issues as well. And you recently wrote a great column about drag queens. Tell us a little bit about this. And then I want to have IQ and Dan jump in here because uh, I, I think they're going to really uh, have a lot to ask you. So jump in there and tell us about this article that you wrote recently. My neighborhood, my town, was hosting a drag queen story hour for children aged... <laughs> Three to 11, where drag queens are invited to the library to uh, show their wares to young children. And, of course, many folks are appalled. I've been appalled since this whole thing started, and that the drag queens are just part of an agenda which... I can't even begin to go into all the theories of why there's an agenda for promoting, as the Drag Queen Story Hour website puts it, queer lifestyles to children. That why would anyone in their right mind who's a parent 
want their child to be exposed at that young age. There's plenty of time to be exposed to different lifestyles. Why must one do it at the age of three? And it, it, it goes on with this same thing they're doing with transgender students where the students can be whatever they want to be and the teachers don't have to tell the parents and it seems to be further drawing the children away from their parents and we know the next step with that what did Lennon say give me your children and so not to sound like a conspiracy theorist but there's just the general social issue of early sexualization of children and uh, flowing into the medical issue is should doctors be giving these hormones to children nine and ten years old and then the political issue as to why why would this be pushed down everyone's throats Well, I have a question. You all tell me. Well, I have a question for you. Um, okay. I, I, I've never prided myself on being politically correct. So, because um, my website, I, the headline of my website is that political correctness isn't always correct. Um, I, I, um, I, I look at this particular issue, and I have seen a number of reports where children have been um, uh, how I can say this children have been exposed to the regiment of shots that you're talking about now I, I'm not making an absolute statement here I'm just going based on on what I've seen in the number of reports that I have read so with that background doctor why is it you think that so many of the cases that I've seen where parents want to change the gender, physically change the gender of the child, is driven by the mother? That's, that's a very interesting question. And I can think of a couple of high-profile cases. And, well, one, so many of these are... There's more that are little boys who somebody has decided should be a little girl. Right. And, and this kind of goes along, and this has been going on for years, sort of the feminization of boys. A teacher said something that I thought was so true. I have a son, and it had said about boys, Boys are not just bad little girls. They're different. And sometimes I think that's how some parents think of their little boy, that they're an unruly little girl. And if they were a girl, then they could be controlled. They could be the image of them, whatever their psychological issues are. But it's very, very disturbing. And... The worst of it is, as far as getting these hormones and, God forbid, surgery under the age of 18 or 21, is that there's several studies that show that the children change their mind when they hit puberty. So after they've had one of these drugs that sometimes are reversible, sometimes they aren't. Some girls have been made permanently sterile, that it's not reversible. So how could you do that to a child when we... Neuroscience has shown that, particularly men, their brains are not formed till the age of 25, 26, 27. So you're talking... Science on one side tells you the brain isn't fully formed, yet you're going to let a nine-year-old make a life-changing decision like that. It makes the, no sense. But the child, doctor, the, the child isn't making the decision. The mother is making the decision. I, I remember recently a case where the father 
uh, went to court to try and stop the mother from changing the sex of his son. And it, at one point in time, this is in California, the court agreed with the mother, and then he appealed to another court, and the, the court, the upper court, overrode the decision of the lower court that, um, that it, as you said, it wasn't appropriate and wasn't in the best interest of the child to, to put that child through a life-changing event that didn't need to happen. And um, but I was wondering why, from your perspective, why does it seem to be, or why is it the only things I see being reported are mothers who are the driving force behind this? And you, what I hear you're saying is that part of some part of the women's movement is the 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 demasculization of men in general. Yeah, and I and and I, I, I agree. I also think that uh, I don't know about where you live, but if I'm out in my car for an hour, I will hear probably three to four commercials on the radio for erectile dysfunction. And uh, I've seen the studies wh- where the the testosterone level of adult males is dropping generation after generation. And, uh, and I wonder if it's all part of that same problem is that women do not want to have men who are men. They want to have men who are women. I, this, you're certainly not the first person to, to say this. And this has been written about truly for several years as we've seen it on television shows. I remember there was a show once, I think it was Reva McIntyre, and the husband was the butt of every joke. He was a fool, he was an ignoramus. You know, these men never seem to have any good quality other than being a uh, doormat for the woman. Mm -hmm. And it totally flips it around. And my my son at his school, he teaches, and one of his colleagues was turned in for being a sexist because he pulled the chair out for a woman. He was just being gentlemanly. That's right. So Greg. they don't even want that. <laughs> right, right. So, IQ, you want to say something? Yes, IQ, jump in there, baby. <laughs> I got to hear from you. <laughs> uh, Dr. Singleton, Dan and I and Jim, we discussed many, many times why the education system in the United States has collapsed completely. And the reason I always said the destruction of a nation starts with the family. The family is the brick which makes a nation. And if the family does not take care of his children, these children will come out wild. And that's exactly what has happened in the last 60 years. This is the first time I hear somebody, a woman and a mother, who is concerned about what the government wants to do with her own child. I should have thought this should have been the most important thing for 60 years, that every parent should not have allowed any education system which indoctrinates their child. But they have been allowing it for 60 years. Are, are well, you part of it, and absolutely, but don't you think some of it is when you go back and look at how employment has changed, that it used to be mothers were at home, and then more and more mothers started being in the workplace. And I mean, heaven's sakes, I'm a doctor, so I'm a working mother. And, but the problem was, is it wasn't just that the mother was doing something else. The raising of the child then became totally supplanted. And so it, first it was the daycare center, and then the schools. And it's almost like people got used to the idea that somebody else could take care of their child. Not that, no, that child is just kind of like on the Monopoly board. They're just visiting jail. They're, they're, that's not who their parent is. But now the schools have taken over 
the role of parenting and with all these laws and it's not just california california has stringent laws wisconsin and and some other states have laws that actually prohibit the teacher from telling the parent of these transgender issues you really have to stand up to that i mean i find this like the second amendment it's the second amendment is in constitution okay but taking care of your child is infinitely more superior than even the second amendment. And yet, American parents and European parents have been failing miserably. When I first arrived, I come from Iraq, when I first arrived to England, the education system in in England was unbelievably good. But what happened is, the teachers don't want competition anymore. They don't want somebody who's clever, who shows up and you have the people who are not that clever feeling un, uh, unrewarded. They want everybody to be equal. Humans are not equal. We are only equal under the law. Outside the law, no two human beings are equal. Some are stupid, some are extremely intelligent, some are talented, others are not, and so on and so forth. What do you think? Oh, this whole participation trophy uh, nonsense has totally changed how people think. And you wonder why we have these uh, snowflakes. It's because if they were raised in a system of getting a participation trophy where you were just as okay is the guy who worked his heart out and practiced every night and ran uh, 10 miles every day so he could be the best and you get the same trophy. Then they wonder why they're crying the blues if they don't get their first job or they don't get their first girlfriend. They're suddenly devastated. We have to learn how to take little disappointments from the day our mother first tells us no and you build on that and you get strong and you learn how to be a human being with character and the way they're teaching the kids now how do you expect these kids to have character now on the good side some do it's like they're just born that way and they can't let the schools the schools won't beat it out of them Jim Yes. Jim? Yes. Uh, I, I know we only have a few minutes left, but I, I want to take advantage, if you don't mind, of having the doctor here to ask her a question on a different subject. Go right okay? ahead, my friend. Jump in there. Doctor, as a medical practitioner, does it concern you that 95% of our antibiotics are made in China? Does it concern you that most of our medical supplies are made in China. Oh, 100%. And I know we're short on time, and I'll tell you the name of one book that if you read anything this weekend, read this. It's called China Rx by Rosemary Gibson. And it's a wonderful book. She writes it where it's quite readable, and it gives the history, the FDA rules, and what's happening with our drug supply in China. Oh, this is this is a very big issue for us. And it's not just the particular drug, but the substrates for many of the drugs are in China. And uh, so even if we have a company, and some of these companies, it has an American company's name on the bottle, and that's part of the FDA rules. That's okay, as long as the drug ultimately ended up in that company's hands. But it does not mean that the drug was made in the United States. So, hard, yes, we're all worried. How hard is it? And I know you can't do it overnight, but how difficult would it be to expatriate those, those supply chains back into the United States and make our medicines made here? I, you know, I can't tell you. I wouldn't even want to hazard a guess. But if we can say the positive thing, one of the positive things to come out of this coronavirus uh, hysteria is 
bringing manufacturing back to the United States. That's exactly what Trump has tried for four years now. Absolutely correct. You're absolutely right. Uh, I, I, I just look at that and I, uh, you know, we, we, there's another non-medical, uh, sort of non-medical. There's a, there's a thing called rare earth. Rare earth and, elements, yes. Right. And China has something like 95% of the world supply. And we use them. Well, and I'll, go ahead. but the thing is about the rare earth elements that, one, they aren't rare, and two, we do have them in the United States, but <clears throat> our OSHA rules and the various EPA rules keep us from mining them here in the United States, just like how we don't mine cobalt in the United States because of cobalt lung, pneumoconiosis. So China certainly doesn't have any occupational safety rules like we do here. And that's how all that stuff started getting done in China. Rather than us figuring out a way, what kind of protective gear could people use and mine what we have here in the United States? We apparently have reserves here in the Western United States. So if, if Mr. Trump were to get reelected, which I believe he will, do you think um, that that one of his themes might be bring it back to the United States? Absolutely. And it was certainly one of his campaign promises four years ago that he wanted to bring manufacturing back. And he did bring some steel back. And uh, after, and certainly it helped in one sense that some buildings fell apart, including the Bay Bridge, from having crummy Chinese steel in there. And, uh, the need to have American-made products. And I think we're seeing it right now with the whole oil hullabaloo. Imagine if we were 15 years ago when we were not oil independent. Can you imagine if Russia and Saudi were playing these games that we'd be caught right in the middle of it? Absolutely. I did a show this morning out in, out in oil country in Colorado uh, with some people, and that was exactly what we talked about, the fact that, that we're energy independent. Uh, what, we can't even begin to imagine what it would have been like if we were not energy independent and still depending upon our crude oil from Saudi Arabia, what kind of shape our economy would be in today. And um, But I think there's a lesson there of making yourself independent with oil creates an opportunity for that issue to be raised about a lot of things. So the thing that, that I think is interesting is that if you start bringing the manufacturing back to the United States, you create more jobs. That's more right. Pe more people go to work. So And uh, jobs for people who aren't computer scientists and rocket scientists. Jobs for low IQ people. Nice, good factory line jobs that disappeared and went to China. So you can get, maybe even help get some homeless people off the street if you mm -hmm. have some good old-fashioned basic jobs that we bring back. Well, as well. we wrap up here, uh, Dan, how do we uh, find you online and give us an update on the nonprofit and everything else? Well, the, the nonprofit is doing well. We just added the the um, St. Louis VA facility network as a new participant in Songs and Stories. Um, uh, I've started a new website, which uh, I think I talked about last week, but maybe not. It's called thejezebelhunter.com. It's a story about the good and evil in the United States and what we're actually facing in this election is the battle of good and evil. That's the Jezebel Hunter, J-E-Z-E-B-E-L, hunter.com. And um, that's enough for me, IQ. <laughs> IQ, what do you have for us? Very simple, just Google my name, Al-Rasuli, A-L-R-A-S-S-O-L-I, and you know more about Islam than the Muslims. <laughs> <laughs> and uh Do dr singleton how do we get a hold of you online get your books all, all, everything okay 
theconservativepundit.net or aapsonline.org. Fantastic. Well, uh, I appreciate everybody for joining us this week. And Dr. Singleton, we will be in touch. And Dan and IQ, I will talk to you next week. Dr. Singleton, it was a pleasure having you. Oh, it was a pleasure talking with you two. You three. It was great. (laughs) Thank you. God bless you. You take care. Thank you, guys. There they go. Dr. Singleton and IQ, Al Rizzoli, and, of course, Dan Perkins. The great Dan Perkins. The fabulous Dan Perkins. And uh, that wraps it up here.